Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, undoing gerrymandering. Our guest is Brian Cannon, Executive Director of Fair Maps VA. That's VA for Virginia. The website is fairmapsva.org. This organization is working on the Vote Yes campaign for a redistricting reform amendment. Before leaving to run the Vote Yes campaign, Brian was Executive Director of One Virginia 2021, which raised the issue of ending gerrymandering in Virginia. While in law school, Brian studied election law and was one of the winning teams, was on one of the winning teams in the 2011 statewide redistricting competition. Brian Cannon, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. David, thanks so much for having me. Glad to be on and and thanks for nerding out on a really important topic. Well, I think it's it's pretty well known, but for anybody who may be a little confused, can you just remind people what's wrong with gerrymandering? Sure. So, while basically all over the country, by both parties, we get congressional and state legislative districts drawn once a decade. It's supposed to be based on the census data, um, which is another big question mark for us coming into next year. But uh, basically, uh, politicians draw these maps, and they draw them to reflect their re-election strategy, which keeps incumbents in power and help, and, and divides communities. Um, and it should be the other way around. It should be the people and the communities picking who represents them. So there's a reform movement all across the country, and we're uh, fortunate to be a part of it here in Virginia. And is this a problem in all 50 states? Have any states figured it out, solved it, gotten rid of gerrymandering uh, already? Uh, some, of, some of them have. Uh, in fact, probably the best example is California, who uh, got redistricting reform a decade ago and had a wonderful series of maps drawn in a fair and transparent way. Um, and and, it, and it, it, what it did is it showed people you got more competitive districts, you got more uh, women and more people of color elected to office. And that was already in California, which was pretty blue to be already. So um, it really worked and it, it started to actually represent the folks in California. We've seen a number of other states in 2018 past reforms uh, like Michigan and Colorado and Ohio and even uh, even our friends in Utah and, and our friends in Missouri past reforms, uh, we just haven't seen the implementation of that yet, but fingers crossed. And the good news is, David, no place to go but up when you let politicians do it in a smoky back room. Anything is better than that. In in recent years, I know the chances of an incumbent getting reelected are, you know, darn near 100%. Uh, Does this make it uh, harder for incumbents to stay in power because they can't oversee the redrawing of their own districts? It really does. In fact, if you look at the the big blue wave for, for, uh, for Congress in uh, 2018, uh, if you look at the 2018, maybe the 2016 data, but either way, uh, you look at it, 435 seats in Congress, any given year, 400 of those seats are non-competitive. Bob, here it is. Even in the blue wave of, of, of 2018, I think only uh, 75 seats were competitive. So that's a huge jump, but not very many. But if you look at where those competitive seats come from, they come from the states that actually had reform. They come from California. They come from Arizona. They come from Florida and other places. And, uh, and, and, they're the pl- and the places that don't have reform are the ones that are making very, you know, a, lot, a lot of uncompetitive uh, re-election. Uh, 
So, so I assume in Virginia you've looked at uh, what's worked and what hasn't in other states. What, what is going to be on the ballot this year coming up very soon in Virginia? Yeah, so, uh, so we've got a, uh, a historic chance in Virginia for a bipartisan redistricting commission. They would have to operate completely in sunlight, open, transparent, and it would have to operate um, according, to, uh, according to a set of criteria the legislature passed that not only uh, provides, you know, primacy for, for people of color and, and concerns that we've had where we've done the opposite of that in Virginia's history for far too long, um, but it also eliminates prison gerrymandering. Um, and, and, and that's all accountable under this, uh, under this commission structure. So basically, if to get it through our legislature, because we don't have the luxury that our friends in California do, where they can write the perfect amendment and get citizens to vote on it directly, we've got to go through our legislature. So we did that twice and it's on the ballot this November, and it's the most comprehensive reform to ever pass a state legislature that didn't have a ballot initiative, kind of citizens initiative on the side. Um, and so we're pretty proud of it. So, the, you know, the question for Virginians this November, or hopefully earlier when you vote, is do you want a bipartisan commission operating in uh, a transparent way with protections for minority communities? Do you want that to do the redistricting, or do you want the legislature to do it the same old way? It's pretty impressive already to get it through the legislature and on the ballot. As someone who lives in Virginia, I don't see a lot of things I'm enthusiastic about going through that legislature. <laughs> um, well, you, <laughs> right. you, you mentioned uh, prison gerrymandering. Can you uh, explain how that works? Sure. Prison gerrymandering is one of those uh, unintentional but very impactful um, policies that, that result of two kind of uh, two things colliding. Uh, one is the fact that we over-incarcerate our population here in the country. And so you've got, you know, uh, a disproportionate number, particularly of black and brown folks from urban areas being arrested. And then they're put into state penitentiaries, which are disproportionately in the rural parts of the state. Now, they're not there because of any kind of grand plan. They're just there because uh, the folks out there needed jobs and things like that, right? So, But they're nonetheless, when the census comes by every decade, the census just counts noses and counts noses in whatever bed you live in. So if you are an incarcerated person um, in a state penitentiary, you are going to be counted as a resident, technically, of that county, that rural county. Um, what that, the net impact of that for redistricting is that once a decade we use that census data and we over, because of those prison populations, we over-inflate the, the, the people in that rural county, and we underinflate the people in the urban areas where a lot of the you know, residents are from, so to speak. So you end up with this kind of um, unequitable distribution of, of people that doesn't actually reflect reality, and on top of it, it disproportionately affects black and brown folks because of our prison uh, industrial complex problem. So undoing prison gerrymandering actually addresses that issue. For the first time ever in Virginia, we will be counting prisoners, if we have a last known address from them and they're in Virginia, they will be counted where they're actually from, not where they're incarcerated. And if they're not from Virginia, then not counted? If they're not from, if they're not from Virginia, then they'll just be counted there. So there okay. will still be, you know, part of that. And this only doesn't affect any census. The census is also tied to a lot of community money. Um, this does not affect that, for better or for worse. 
It just affects how we redistrict, which right. at least is one big step forward. But the, but the people in prison won't get to vote, won't get to have meetings with representatives. They'll just uh, give an extra little bit of power to the people who live nearby them, uh, unless you unless you make this correction, right? Yep, exactly. Um, and and what about university students? Uh, similar. So university students are an interesting batch. So usually the census counts you where you were on April 1st. But um, in April 1st, all over the country, we have a real problem because we were on the pandemic. So university towns that would usually have had, you know, an extra 10 or 20,000 students in them, um, probably when the census came around, didn't have those students there because they probably went home during the pandemic. So I don't know exactly how that shakes out in the census data. Um, but generally speaking, for college students, um, they, they, it, it, there's, there's the where you count them for the census, which is wherever they were sleeping on, on April 1st, uh, but they can register. You, in Virginia, you can at least register in your locality where you reside, so that could be uh, your, your school, or you could still do it back at home, um, and they kind of have a choice to make there as to where they count their own residence. Yeah, so here in Charlottesville, most of the University of Virginia students were not in Charlottesville, and so that may have an impact for the coming decade. Um, mm-hmm. So this, so this will be uh, this would be an amendment to the Virginia Constitution. This would be a big deal, and and presumably not be undone anytime soon, right? Well, I hope we can improve it shortly. But um, but yeah, this oh. is a this is an amendment. This is something that you know, if the party in power flips or uh, whatever happened, you know, the pendulum swings in politics, that no matter that, that it would still be, uh, this amendment would still be there, guarantee transparency, guarantee bipartisanship, and guarantee um, protections for communities of color. And that's a, that's pretty important to have locked in our, our Constitution. And, and, and how are you hoping to improve it in the future? Well, so to get it through the legislature, so ideally we do what California did, which is an all-independent uh, citizens commission that's balanced by party and has checks and balances. All this. We have the checks and balances. We have the balance by party, but we didn't get all citizens. We got half citizens, half legislators. Funny thing, when you're going through the legislature, they think they should be on this commission. <laughs> Members of both parties uh, will tell me that, well, we know our districts really well, Brian, so we <laughs> should be on this commission. So, um, you know, I disagree with that, but it was a compromise necessary to get the legislation uh, the, the amendment moving forward because the other stuff is so important as well. Um, and so uh, so the way to improve this commission, and I think the next step we can take is uh, just kick the legislators out of the, out of the process as much as possible. They shouldn't be on the commission and they, 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 uh, their, their power to appoint should be uh, severely curtailed. And we can learn, uh, we'll see what happens in, in California again. They're about ready to do their redistricting or they've just selected their commission. Michigan's just selected their commission. Both look like they did a pretty good job. Um, and so hopefully we'll have some more lessons learned uh, from this round of redistricting for how do we take uh, what I think is about a B-plus commission that we've got proposed here. How do we take that and make it an A? So if, it, so if this passes, if everybody votes yes, uh, and uh, you then have eight citizens and eight legislators, uh, four, from, uh, four from each house, four from each party, uh, are those chosen by, the, by the, uh, the houses or by the party leaders? They're chosen by the legislative leaders. So it's the Speaker of the House and the Minority Leader in the House. It's the Senate 
pro tem who comes from the majority party in the Senate, basically the Senate pro tem, and then the um, uh, and, and then the minority leader in the Senate. So um, in this case, for the Democrats, that's Senator Louise Lucas, who's the pro, Senate pro tem, and Speaker Eileen Fillercorn. Um, and then on the Republican side, it would be uh, Senator Tommy Norman and Delegate Todd, or I guess technically Leader Todd Gilbert is what he's called. So, uh, so that would be the, the folks running through it. And that gets you a balanced commission, because as you noted, we don't register by party here in Virginia. So we have no way to tell who's a Republican or who's a Democrat or whatnot. Like, you have to run it through somebody in some kind of filter. And we thought the legislative leaders was the, was the best filter there. So, so you, they'll choose the, the legislative members and the citizen members. They choose the legislative members directly. So basically, Senator Louise Lucas will appoint two of her colleagues from the Senate Democratic Caucus. Um, and, you know, same on the Tommy Norman on the other side, those kind of things. They'll appoint the, the legislators. The citizens, they have to get recommended. Um, there's each, there'll be a, a pool of 64 citizens recommended by these four legislative leaders. And the, there's a, a, a selection committee of retired circuit court judges that will be appointed by uh, kind of in a balanced way. So there's, if it, I think our circuit court judges are actually pretty good. But if you wanted to ascribe partisanship to any of them, it would be two Republican appointees, two Democratic appointees. Those four people get together and pick a fifth. And those five mm-hmm. retired judges serve as your selection committee. So they take that list of at least 64 citizens who applied, and they winnow it down to eight evenly balanced by party. So yeah. it's an indirect appointment there. Yeah, it. I mean, it's sad, but it seems that party is so important uh, in this country and in this state that if you're going to have, mm-hmm. you're going to have eight people, and you end up with five of them with their identity and their loyalty to one party and three to the other, uh, it's you know, it's not a, it's not a tie anymore. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a real problem, and our friends in California have this too. So they have a commission made up of five Democrats five Republicans, and four what they call decline to state out there. So they, they're basically, for shorthand, we call them independents, but they could be independent far to the right, or they could be independent far to the left, or somehow not on the scale at all. They just cannot be uh, a member of the Republican Party or a Democratic Party. They register out there. Um, but what's interesting is if you just look at the dynamics of, of those parties, that's so five for the Dems, five for the Republicans, and four for the, for the decline to state independent folks. But if you look at it, decline, if you look at the registration numbers in California, decline to state is actually the second largest party, or if it's not right now, it will be shortly, right? The Republican Party has experienced such a free fall right now that they would be disproportionately represented. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. Yeah. I still think we've got electoral problems that are, that, you know, you can't expect redistricting reform to solve. For instance, we should have ranked choice voting and things like that. But um, if you, as long as you balance the parties out, We've seen other commissions work well. You balance them out, you make them do it in a transparent way, and they stop um, a, a lot of the shenanigans that you, you usually expect. But I think in our improvement phase of, you know, beyond next year, I really hope we can learn about what should we do for parties, because a lot of folks don't identify with either party for, for whatever reason, right? 
absolutely not. Uh, one reason, uh, my personal reason, I can't stand either one of the parties. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Maine is doing very well with ranked choice voting. I think four more states might get it uh, this year. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't mind, you know, criminalizing bribery and publicly financing campaigns and all sorts of other reforms. But but I think uh, I think this is a good one. Uh, and uh, by the way, we're speaking with Brian Cannon, who is the executive uh, director of Fair Maps VA. The website is fairmapsva.org. Uh, and we are going to have, uh, Brian and I are going to be doing a, a webinar and speaking with you and taking questions and having a conversation uh, at noon Eastern time on September the 17th. And there will be a link to that up at talknationradio.org. Uh, Brian Cannon, how, how much work did it take uh, to get from having the idea to this point? I mean, how big a job is this for somebody to take on in another state uh, to get to the point you've reached here in Virginia? Well, uh, a lot is the short answer. What I would say to anybody else thinking about a reform like this um, in their state, it looks impossible until you do it. And if you haven't watched them, there's a great movie, I think it's streaming, you can get it on demand or something like that, called Slay the Dragon. And my personal hero who's I'm fortunate enough to call a friend as well. Her name is Katie Fahey. Um, Katie is a young woman uh, from Michigan, and after the 2016 election, she made a post on her Facebook uh, uh, wall that just said, hey, is anybody interested in helping me stop gerrymandering in Michigan? And I think she had like a, a winky smiley face emoji or something like that, which she says is very critical to getting responses because she did something earlier and nobody responded. But after the 2016 election, Everybody jumped in, and Michigan, the group is called Voters Not Politicians, was led by Katie for quite some time, um, got reform on the ballot and through. No one thought they could do it. It was a purely grassroots-funded movement um, and grassroots-organized until probably the last six months when some of the national good government groups were like, oh, no, Michigan can really happen, and they came in there and pitched in. So I hope uh, Virginia is even remotely as inspiring as, as Michigan's story is. And, and folks can do it, but I would I would suggest that you know take what voters not politicians did. You know anybody can reach out to me at Fair Maps VA. Um, I'm happy to tell them anything that we did, any secret sauce. Um, I think the folks doing ranked choice voting in Massachusetts um, are doing really really good work. It's worth uh, following them as well. So there's some models out there, and we're in this moment now where David, as you said, people just don't like either party, and they're tired of the corruption, and they're tired of the backroom deals, and they want transparency and accountable government, and it's happening. It's happening. Thank God. Uh, yeah, well, thank you. Thank the people who are working on it. I, I remember that video, uh, Slay the Dragon. People should watch it. I hope you're you're working on the Virginia video uh, to come out <laughs> soon. Um, there, there actually have been some some court rulings, Supreme Court rulings included on, on gerrymandering in recent months and years, haven't there? What is the, on, on racial gerrymandering and on partisan gerrymandering, right? Yeah, so... What's interesting is the courts kind of split on this, like on partisan gerrymandering cases. And there are some just like smoking gun, signed a, you know, confession, you know, admissions by the Democrats in Maryland who gerrymandered Maryland and the Republicans in New North Carolina who gerrymandered uh, North Carolina. You know, it's, it's not even a question of did they do it or did they not? They admitted they did it, and, and there's proof and all sorts of stuff. Um, the court last, I guess, two Junes ago now, uh, with uh, Chief Justice Roberts writing the opinion, basically said, 
we don't want to hear any of your complaining about partisan gerrymandering. It's a partisan process, and if anybody wants to fix it, fix it at the state level. So the federal courts are no longer going to hear partisan gerrymandering claims, even though previously they had heard plenty. They just hadn't figured out how to identify them. So partisan gerrymandering no longer no longer going to be litigated at the federal courts. Can still be litigated in the state courts, thankfully, um, and under uh, and under we still get reforms at the state level, which is really where it needs to happen. Um, but the, uh, the 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 weird and good news is, is that the racial gerrymandering cases have actually been very successful this past decade, and they've helped change the face of racial gerrymandering from one where it was just you know you have to have a ton of minority voters in one area, and basically you end up packing minority voters. They've stopped that packing, because uh, we had corrected the, pa- the cracking earlier, stopped the packing and the cracking now. And it's been an interesting coalition, because even Justice Thomas, uh, as conservative as he is, is siding with a lot of the liberals in these cases, both in Virginia and in North Carolina and in Georgia, and really helping make much, much, much better law than what we had at the beginning of the decade. And so, as you said, this this new law in Virginia, if this passes, this new amendment to Virginia's constitution would will actually require the commission to, where possible, make the make the map look sensible, like compact, contiguous uh, areas, uh, as well as uh, taking into consideration uh, fairness to racial groups and other minorities. Yeah, yeah, you have to give racial and ethnic. If this amendment passes, you will have to give racial and ethnic minority communities an opportunity to elect a candidate of their choice where that makes where it's practicable with you know obviously the caveats of you can't just lump the black communities in Richmond in with the black communities in you know uh in Hampton Roads and kind of the craziness that we've seen before. Um so and that's huge. I mean if you think about it, our constitution in Virginia, we've had a lot of them, right? Four hundred years of constitutions in our state. And up until um uh, up until the, 19, the early 1970s, Virginia's constitutions were incredibly racist, right? It was just, it, we'll call it race negative, right? And then in the 70s, they redid the, they redid the state constitution. It was a huge change, kind of wholesale change to the constitution. And they redid it and made it race neutral, right? Which is better than race negative, but certainly we should, given our history, we should probably be race positive. And that's what's on the ballot now is we actually have a chance to affirmatively put rights into our state constitution for uh, racial and ethnic minorities, and that's a huge win. Um, and it's, it's it's probably one. It's probably you know it's a hard time to get anything, you know, hard time to recognize anything as historic in these kind of crazy times of 2020. But that is historic for Virginia and for the South. Yeah, indeed. I, I think Virginia had always voted for the more racist. Uh, presidential candidate up until Obama. Uh, so that was a long, yep. <laughs> a long record. Uh, what, in terms of, of polling, in terms of, of outreach you're doing, what does it look like? Uh, does this seem very popular? Does it seem widely known? Are people, uh, are people expected to, to spot this on the ballot and to, to vote yes? Yeah, so it's question number one on your ballot. So if your listeners are in Virginia, you vote yes on one. Um, but it's, I mean, it's a complicated topic, right? It's not just a simple one-liner. It's a paragraph of you know, bipartisan commission and things like that. It'll take some skills and some reading to do it. We're working our butts off to get public education, doing things like this radio interview. I appreciate it, David, uh, to tell folks about what's on the ballot. Um, if you look at polling, and we poll in the ballot question, Democrats support this 
usually in the 70s, maybe lower or uh, uh, upper 60s at some, some point, um, but usually pretty high. Republicans are 50-50 on this issue. Um, even though, which is, which is funny because now fair redistricting, you know, Republicans in Maryland have always been for fair redistricting, right? Cause the Democrats were, were using it to, to screw them over. Um, Republicans in, in Virginia, I don't think got the memo that they're the minority party yet. So Republican support should be through the roof for fair redistricting at this point. It's just not, I think mostly because they've had a decade plus of being told that redistricting reform was a liberal conspiracy, you know, and, you yeah. know, <laughs> Here we are. It's just fair. We would fight for it whether Republicans are in charge or whether Democrats are in charge. So that's the message we need to get out. If it was fair for the Democrats when they were a minority um, and fair for the Republicans when they were clearly on their way out, uh, it's still fair when the, when the tables turn. Wouldn't that be a sad commentary on the informed electorate for people to be <laughs> voting based on which party's in the majority and it's out of date? Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I hope people get, I, I wish everyone would vote, uh, you know, even in, in just longer term selfish interests, realizing that their beloved party might be in the minority in the, in the future. But uh, I, I, I really wish people would simply vote more, more wisely in terms of a, of a fair system uh, and let the chips fall. But um, we'll see. Are, are there actually, I mean, apart from selfish party interests, are there, are there any legitimate arguments against uh, this move? Yeah, so the arguments kind of boil down to, to, two, to two broad objections. And before I get into them, let me say that every na- redistricting is complex. Every national voting rights attorney that cares about redistricting reform, every good government group in the country, and that includes in Virginia, has endorsed this amendment. So I think if we're like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know enough about a pandemic, but I know to wear a mask because that's what we're told to do, right? So listen to the experts. All the experts are uniformly behind this. The two arguments you hear from the naysayers, and usually these are, you know, Democratic Party insiders or elected, uh, elected Democrats, uh, particularly in the House of Delegates, the two arguments you hear are, one, that the Supreme Court is going to gerrymander for Republicans, and two, that trust us, we'll do something better in the future, even though we haven't identified that. Um, What's interesting is that our, our state Supreme Court has sided quite a bit um, with the uh, Northam administration and with, and with Attorney General Herring this year. They've seen it. They're basically four or five and oh um, there to, on big political cases about masks, about eviction moratoriums and things like that, all doing the right thing because they're really not. I mean, Wisconsin has a very partisan court. We don't in Virginia. And uh, but in a time where fear mongering and, and, and bipartisanship is a, often a dirty word. That's one of the things out there um, that, that's been used against us. And then the other thought is that the Democrats will just do better in the future. And, you know, <laughs> I haven't seen a plan. They haven't put one forward. Uh, and I don't think you can expect, uh, the, you know, just a, a wink, wink, trust us in the future. We won't gerrymander because, you know, as much as no court in the country, no matter how conservative or liberal it is, no court in the country has ever gerrymandered. No state legislature has ever not. And I think that's your, if your answer is the courts or the legislature, the courts aren't great, but they're better than the legislature. <laughs> and, and if this passes, this, this, indep- this semi-independent commission will create the plan, uh, and then it can be approved or not, but not, not changed, right? Yeah, that's one of the things we learned from Iowa, which is kind of the golden unicorn of redistricting reform, is that, uh, is that approval by the legislature is that final check 
but with the caveat that the legislature cannot amend it. So yeah. it's just an up or down vote, and that's been a good tool. It's worked out really well in Iowa. Well, it's a great campaign. I encourage everyone in Virginia to go to fairmapsva.org and remember to vote yes on number one and everyone everywhere else to, to get this happening uh, in your state if it hasn't. Uh, we've been speaking with Brian Cannon, Executive Director of Fair Maps VA, and Brian and I will be doing a webinar uh, in the coming days and invite you to join us. You can get a link to the Zoom call uh, at talknationradio.org. Brian Cannon, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. So happy to, David. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talknationradio.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is supported by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.